Okay, so um, moving swiftly on, I, I wanted to talk to you today about medical freedom and I wanted to really think about why this is such an important um, principle um, to uphold and protect in a humane and civilised society. And um, I've got Naomi to thank for the next slide. Um, she found this really, really great quote from a Dutch professor of law, philosopher and founder of reformational philosoph philosophy in 1923. And he said, the government may not, according to God's ordinances, force the ethically free man to accept physical treatment in any form. The ethical person alone is appointed by God as the keeper and caretaker of the body. So I thought that was a really good place to frame this. Um, and before I introduce myself properly, um, I'm going to start with a short video, a two-minute clip of a far better speaker than I am, uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., uh, who you may have come across. You've probably got some fans here. He's, he's one of my heroes. Um, he's the son of Bobby Kennedy, uh, the US senator who was assassinated. He's the nephew of JFK, the US president who was also assassinated. Um, he is an environmental lawyer and he's a prominent medical freedom advocate and campaigner. He's also a devout Catholic. Um, and this is from a speech uh, that he, he went to... Um, Switzerland and Italy a couple of weeks ago uh, and toured around uh, making lots of speeches and this is a couple of minutes uh, just which I felt really summed up uh, where we're at at the moment. I hope you can hear it. Um, he doesn't, he's got problems with his voice so it, it, you just have to focus on what he's saying. My father told me when I was a child, people in authority lie. And we all, if we are going to continue to live in a democracy, we need to understand that people in authority lie. People in authority will abuse every power that we relinquish to them. And right now we are giving them the power to micromanage every bit of our lives 24 hours a day. They're going to know where we are. They're going to know the money that we spend. They're going to have access to our children. They're going to have the right to compel unwanted medical interventions on us. We, you know, the Nazis did that in the camps in World War II. They tested vaccines on gypsies and Jews. And the world was so horrified after the war that we signed the Nuremberg Charter. And we all pledge when we do that. We would never again impose unwanted medical interventions on human beings without informed consent. And yet in two years, all of that conviction has suddenly disappeared. And people are walking around in mass where the science has not been explained to them. They are, they are doing what they're told. They are orchestrating, these, these government agencies are orchestrating obedience. And it is not democratic. It's not the product of democracy. It's the product of a pharmaceutical-driven biosecurity agenda that will enslave the entire human race and plunge us into a dystopian nightmare where the apocalyptic forces of ignorance and greed will be running our lives and ruining our children and destroying all the dreams and dignity 
and we hope to give to our children. So hang on, let's just move on to the next slide. So uh, thank you to Bobby Kennedy for that. Um, so a little bit about me. So um, when I was thinking, what are the important things, my passions in my life? So I would say, first of all, I have been a lifelong Christian, but I would say that my faith has grown enormously and deepened over the last two years. And I think it has been my faith um, that has given me a wider spiritual and moral perspective on what's been going on. And I remember at the very beginning, and my daughter's here, she will remember I said back in March when there was all the hype starting. And I just said, don't buy into the fear. Don't buy into it. And I kept saying that. And at the time, I did not know where we were going. But my instinct was, we don't live in fear. So um, that's where I started in, in last March. So I am a wife. I am a mother of four amazing um, teenage, or nearly teenage, one of them, children. Uh, I was a doctor. Uh, I practiced medicine for six years. Um, I then gave up work to uh, raise my children. And then about 10 years ago, I retrained in complementary medicine, and I now see patients in my own home. So I've worked with um, uh, healthcare and trying to support people um, for most of my uh, adult life. Um, so all of these factors, I would say, led me to set up uh, the UK Medical Freedom Alliance, uh, which uh, started in October 2020. So I had been uh, studying the data, the studies, I'd been listening to independent scientists and uh, doctors. I, I felt that by Oct September, October, I could have done a PhD in COVID. Um, it's sort of become my full-time job and obsession since March. Um, and I could see very clearly where we were heading. Uh, I could see we'd already lost uh, a lot of our human rights and I could see there was a big threat to our medical freedom. And at this point in time, last, last year, there was no medical freedom movement in the UK because we had never needed one. Um, there are very big medical freedom movements in uh, Australia, in uh, America, because they have mandated vaccination in some states to get to school, but we hadn't ever needed that. Medical treatment had been voluntary. Um, but I could see coming after the mask mandates, uh, which is also an infringement of your medical freedom, you may not have thought about it like that, um, that vaccine mandates and vaccine passports were coming. Um, so I thought we better do something about it and no one else was. So we started the UK Medical Freedom Alliance. And we got together um, a group of doctors, nurses, healthcare professionals, scientists and lawyers. Um, and our platform is to campaign for medical freedom, informed consent and bodily autonomy to be preserved and protected. And so the specific areas we've been looking at are um, we want fully informed consent for all testing, medical treatments, um, interventions, including masks and vaccines. Uh, we want to uphold the right to for the freedom to refuse testing and all of the other um, uh, medical treatments without any penalties and without any restrictions. Um, we uh, are very keen that there is full transparency, transparency of safety and effectiveness data on trials, which as Jonathan has very clearly shown, um, has not been happening. Um, because without that data, we cannot independently scrutinize it and evaluate it, and that, that means that fully informed consent is not possible. Um, we supported the Great Barrington Declaration, which was, uh, uh, you may have heard of in October 2021, so about the same time that we started, 
Um, it was a, a, an approach to handling pandemics which, which was, was a humane and ethical approach where you protected the most vulnerable but allowed herd immunity to develop safely, uh, limiting the collateral damage, the non-pandemic uh, damage to society. Um, as it stands, that has now been signed by 60,000 medical uh, doctors and scientists and um, nearly a million concerned citizens. But yet, obviously, it's been discredited. So we have been working hard. We have a website, and I do encourage all of you to go and have a look at it. Um, we've had two approaches. One is to lobby government uh, and decision makers, but the other has been to produce um, uh, tools to educate and empower the public um, so that they can uphold their own medical freedom rights um, and they feel um, empowered to do so. Uh, we've got a team of about 50 of us at the moment and we've been working um, across with other um, campaign groups um, uh, more and more as the pandemic's gone on. So we've written um, open letters which are all fully referenced and argued uh, on all sorts of topics, um, testing, vaccine passports, COVID policies, prevention and treatments, um, children's vaccines. Uh, so if there's any topic that you want to know what the evidence is, go to our website and have a look at, find one of the letters, there's 43 of them. Uh, we've written uh, letters to head teachers, um, for people to download and give to their head teacher as to why the children's vaccine shouldn't happen and we completely stand behind um, Jonathan's call today for an immediate moratorium. I think that, that absolutely goes without saying. Um, there's public information leaflets and there's a very, we've got a very good resource uh, on children's COVID vaccines uh, which we update every couple of weeks. And it's just um, a lot of links in different sections um, on, to help people to start looking into children's vaccines. So like all the open letters written around the world by doctors, you've just got them and you can actually look into them. Uh, reports of injury and you've got, just got the links. So it just helps people to, because to, to, a lot of people don't know where to start. Um, so that's the most up-to-date um, thing for children's vaccines. We've also got some template letters to help you to, in specific situations, like um, being told you can't have an operation unless you've been jabbed or unless you've been tested, uh, and for parents to decline masks or testing for their children. So things like that, so have a look at those. And very recently, we've joined together with um, the Alliance for Natural Health International to set up an organisation called PROMIC, or an umbrella organisation, which is Professionals for Medical Informed Consent and Non-Discrimination. And this website is very specifically um, to host uh, medical exemption forms for the vaccine. Uh, there's one that, that is designed for you to self-exempt yourself, and there's one designed for a health professional to sign. And again, it, it sort of it sets out some of the law and some of the reasons. Uh, and basically, they're, they're designed that anybody can self-exempt. Um, but it helps people to have that conversation with their doctors because I think that's what we need to start doing. We need to start going to our GP and say, I want you to exempt me. This is why. Here's my form. Why won't you sign it? Because um, we cannot fight, we can't fight this, you know, just from the campaign groups. We really do need everyone on board now having these difficult conversations. So um, you'll see actually. Uh, there's quite a few slides of quotes from the founding fathers um, in America in my talk, because I think they had an incredible wisdom that they were, I believe 95% of them were Christians. It was a very 
um, a, a society found, founded on Christian uh, values and also Christian faith. Um, and so he said, the greatest tyrannies are always perpetuated in the name of the noblest causes. And I think that's what we've seen, you know, every time you question anything, because COVID, because COVID, to keep people safe. And we just have to be very careful. This, this you know, there's nothing new under the sun, is there? Um, and so two and a, 250 years ago, um, Thomas Paine recognized there was this, this issue. So, how has your medical freedom been impacted with the COVID policies? Well, I think it's very clear uh, from what Jonathan was showing us that all medical treatments and vaccines come with risks of harm as well as benefits. So they must be subject to informed consent and that must be voluntary. To mandate any medical treatment is unethical and immoral. We have to draw a line somewhere where we will not go further and the right to control what goes into our own bodies is non-negotiable. But we have seen people, including children, forced to wear face masks for hours a day. Uh, we've seen COVID testing mandates for traveling, for school children, uh, for employment. Uh, we've seen, um, obviously, the COVID vaccine mandates, which uh, shockingly have now been brought in for care home workers. We've lost tens of thousands of care home workers overnight in a sector which was already um, on its knees. Um, so how can that be about health and caring for the elderly? Um, and now we're looking at whole populations being talked about, being mandated to have um, an experimental vaccine, uh, such as Austria and possibly Germany. Um, and then we have the horror of the COVID vaccine and testing passes for access to um, just the most basic services of life um, restaurants, cafes, education, travel, and um, even churches. So I think this has been the, an absolutely unprecedented removal of the basic human rights and freedoms of assembly, travel, work, worship, and based on government-mandated medicine. And this idea, which is completely new, that we have to prove we're not carrying a virus. We should not have to prove we are healthy. So as an ex-doctor and a passionate um, uh, advocate of medicine, um, I think we need to think about how is medicine practiced safely and ethically? And there are some key cornerstones of me medicine, which we are really challenging with the way that things are going. So first of all, the doctor-patient relationship has always been considered to be sacred. Um, it's based on confidentiality. Well, we can see how we're losing that. We're having to, you know, people, random strangers are asking you, have you been vaccinated? What's your test result? You know, do a lateral flow test. Where's the confidentiality um, and the patient-centered care? That means the care, the, the doctor's first duty is to care for his or her patient and their own needs based on their own individual um, you know, circumstances, which is physical, emotional, psychological, spiritual, it's everything. We're all different, we all have different needs. And it's only with that sacred doctor-patient relationship that you get trust um, and, and the doctor will advocate for the patient. 
And I think you can see how this is being stripped away. Pa patients are, are saying, I want to have a vaccine exemption, and their doctors are refusing. And they're saying, I, I can't do that, I can't give you one. Even if the patient has had, we've heard of people who've had one jab, had a terrible reaction, and they won't be exempted from the next jab. Or people who've had anaphylaxis being told, well, just go to the hospital for your next jab, um, and then we'll make sure we've re we can resuscitate you. I mean, th this is insanity. This is not how we practice medicine. Um, you know, if you gave penicillin in the past to somebody who was known to be anaphylactic to penicillin, you'd be struck off. You'd be in front of the GMC. That's not how you practice medicine. So, and there's sort of building on that three concepts to this, this practice of ethical medicine. The first, first do no harm, which is also kind of interchangeably used with the, the term the Hippocratic Oath. Uh, we've got bodily autonomy and informed consent. So here's uh, Hipp Hippocrates, uh, primum non nucere, first do no harm. So this code um, was attributed to Hippocrates. He was a Greek physician about nearly two and a half thousand years ago. But it's still upheld today across the world by doctors and used as the founding principle of medical ethics. It has been updated numerous times. It's more secular now because it did used to swear on um, the Greek gods. Um, but it gives moral guidance and accountability to physicians. And the key points to this uh, practice of medicine by a doctor, are that the benefits of treatment must outweigh the risks for that individual. That's the first do no harm. There is the confidentiality. There is the, um, even in those days, they were told do not conduct research without patient permission. And there's also the duty to pass knowledge on to the next generation of doctors. Now, I don't know how many people are aware of this, but um, September 2021, how many people knew that there was a big um, uh, summit held in Rome where um, they uh, launched uh, the Rome Declaration? Is anyone aware of that? Okay, it's, it's interesting, isn't it, that the BBC didn't report this? Okay, well, this, this is what I see as the modern-day declaration of the principles of the Hippocratic Oath. So it was yeah, held in September. There was an international alliance of doctors and medical scientists. And you've probably heard of some of these names if you've been following this. So Dr. Robert Malone, who is the inventor of the technology behind the mRNA and DNA vaccines, he read the declaration. Dr. Geert van den Bosch, he's a very, very um, eminent vaccinologist who's worked for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. He's worked for um, Gavi. He's spent his whole life and career, he's quite old now, he, well, not that old, probably about my age, um, but <laughs> maybe in his 50s, no, probably 50s. Um, so yeah, he's, he's spent his whole life developing vaccines. He is not an anti-vaxxer. You have Pierre Corey, Dr. Pierre Corey, who's the head of the Frontline um, Critical Care COVID uh, Alliance in America, who are treating um, patients with early treatment. You've got Peter McCullough, who's um, the most eminent doctor. I mean, he's my absolute hero. Um, Paul Alexander, Tess Laurie, who's a UK um, doctor who runs the evidence-based medicine consultancy. 
So these doctors and many more are on the stage reading out um, this declaration where they condemned global COVID, uh, government COVID policies and they even used the word crimes against humanity. And they reclaimed and invoked the Hippocratic Oath and its fundamental principles for humane and ethical medicine. And now it has been signed by um, almost 13,000 doctors. So I'm going to just spend a few minutes, it's worth spending some time actually looking at some of the statements that they made because it's absolutely extraordinary that these eminent doctors and now 2,700 doctors around the world have signed their names to this. Um, so they've said things like, uh, we are united and loyal to the Hippocratic Oath. The profession of medicine as we know it is at a crossroads and that they, it's our utmost responsibility and duty to uphold and restore the dignity, art and science of medicine. They've noted that there's an unprecedented assault on our ability to care for our patients. Uh, that policymakers are forcing a one-size-fits-all treatment strategy which is resulting in needless illness and death. Um, and that they want to uphold the individualised, personalised approach to patient care. Um, they note that physicians are being discouraged from engaging in open professional discourse and that thousands of physicians are being prevented from providing treatment to their patients. I mean, how can that be? Uh, these, these guys, I mean, they don't say this lightly. So this is a quote from the um, declaration. They say, this is not medicine. This is not care. These policies may act actually constitute crimes against humanity. So the measures they're calling for to restore the practice of ethical science-based medicine, they say that the political intrusion into the practice of medicine and the physician-patient relationship must end that all physicians must be uh, free to practice the art and science of medicine without fear of retribution, censorship, slander or disciplinary action. It just shows what is going on behind the scenes and how we have got into this mess. I think um, John very, um, very eloquently um, explained how it felt to be a pastor at the moment when everybody around you is, is just not speaking the truth. And I think these doctors are saying the same thing is happening in medicine. Um, so they want uh, physicians to defend their right to prescribe treatment, observing the tenet first do no harm. So we're back to the 2,500 years ago, that recognition of what needed to be in place for medicine to be practiced ethically and safely. And then they've met uh, more recently, couple of months ago, actually November, uh, in Florida, and they've updated uh, the declaration. And so there's some of the figures there on the stage, you'll recognise them, no doubt, some of you. Um, and they've come to three more um, updates, that healthy children shall not be subject to forced vaccination, which in the States is becoming a reality. Um, there are going to be kids who can't go to school. Um, that naturally immune persons uh, recovered from SARS-CoV-2 shall not be subject to any restriction or vaccine mandates because natural immunity is literally being written out of science and medicine, which is, you know, we are fearfully and wonderfully made, are we not? You know, our immune systems, when I learnt medicine, the more I learnt, the more incredible 
you know, the more my faith deepened because what we have inside us is just more intricate than any drug or any vaccine could come close to, um, to replicating. And also that all health agencies and institutions shall cease interfering with physicians treating individual patients. So back to my founding fathers. Uh, this was Thomas Jefferson. Um, the star of the musical Hamilton, you all probably know. Um, so he said very wisely, if people let government decide what foods they eat and medicines they take, their bodies will soon be in as sorry a state as are the souls of those who live under tyranny. And I think we kind of are facing both of those issues at the moment. So to sort of build on what he says, why is medical freedom a fundamental right that's non-negotiable? And I think it comes down to the question, who owns your body? Is it you or is it the state and society? And the things that, um, the two sort of principles behind this, bodily autonomy, that is the fundamental and I believe sacred right of each human being to self-determination over their own body. This is a sacred right and it must be defended. And actually, if you think about it, it is the foundation on which all other human rights are built. If you cross this line, once you don't have agency over what goes into your body, you effectively become an agent or a slave of the state or authorities or whoever is mandating medical interventions on your body. And this um, principle of bodily autonomy is enacted and protected by uh, laws around informed consent which is the process by which um, an individual gives permission before they receive any type of medical treatment, test or examination. Um, for informed consent to be valid, it must be voluntary and informed on the basis of an explanation by a clinician. That clinician must share the risks, the benefits and any alternatives to treatments. And Critically, it must not be influenced by pressure. And in the NHS constitution, it says by medical staff, friends or family. Now, I wonder how many people have been experiencing pressure to take a medical treatment from friends or family. It's against the NHS constitution and probably against the law. The person consenting obviously must have the capacity to make decisions. So that's, there are rare cases where you um, don't have capacity, in which case a uh, power of attorney or someone else may take that. But for, for most of us, while we're in our sound minds, we have the right to informed consent. Now, there's many, many laws and codes that um, underpin this all around the world. You will be familiar, no doubt, this is probably one of the most famous ones, the Nuremberg Code. Um, after the war, uh, the Second World War, there were the Nuremberg trials, which included the doctor's trial. Um, uh, these Nazi doctors had committed atrocities, they were um, tried for crimes against humanity, uh, war crimes and experimentation, um, and seven were acquitted, seven got death sentences, and about another seven were imprisoned. Um, and from this uh, we drew up the Nuremberg Code in 1947, which regarded ethical and permissi permissible human research. Um, because as Jonathan's pointed out, these vaccines are still in experimental trial phase, so we are all in one massive population experiment. 
And the Nuremberg Code says the voluntary consent of the human subject is absolutely essential. Uh, you can read the rest. But there is, it says no element, oh, this is quite interesting, of force, fraud, deceit, duress, overreaching, or any other ulterior form of constraint or coercion. Now, the Nuremberg Code itself is not legally binding, although it is a code that uh, most countries have signed up to, but there are legally binding um, laws around this. So you've got the EU Charter of Human Rights, Article 3, which is the right to integrity of the person, which um, enshrines free and informed consent. Um, the UK Supreme Court uh, made a really important judgment called Montgomery in 2015. Uh, previously, there had been the Bolam test, which was quite a paternalistic approach, where um, a, a doctor, all the doctor had to do was act in line with a responsible body of medical opinion. This judgment, the Montgomery judgment, put the patient at the heart of consent and said that all material risks must be shared and alternatives so that the patient could make informed consent. So that wasn't just the risks that the doctor thought were relevant, they had to think about what would the patient think was, no, was, was important. Um, then you've got the UN UNESCO Universal Declaration on Bioethics and Human Rights, um, the NHS Constitution, as I said. Um, doctors and nurses have codes of practice, the GMC and the NMC. They are very clear about the doctor's duties to um, practice informed consent properly. And obviously the US Constitution and Bill of Rights and lots of other laws around the world. So if we think specifically about the vaccines, it, it's just quite interesting to see how informed consent has been undermined. So I would say the risks, uh, and thank you very much again, Jonathan, for sort of putting these so clearly, have not been clearly stated and have perhaps been actively been hidden. We are seeing censorship of doctors and sciences. There's no balanced debate in the media. Then the benefits from the absolute risk reduction or the relative risk reduction, as we saw, are being overstated so that you get misleading headlines, 90% or 95%. But more worryingly, I think even than that, we have seen just unprecedented use of coercion, blackmail and threats. Uh, so we've had the propaganda 24 seven from the government, the media. We've had the use of fear uh, the pandemic of the unvaccinated. There's been a social pressure that's been created. Um, this term anti-vaxxers, the hate speech, the, we, we're becoming the untouchables. Then there's been the extraordinary spectacle of bribery to have a vaccine. Um, in the States, it's been particularly bad. They've had free food, cinema tickets, lottery entry to, to win a million dollars, um, money, people are being paid to have vaccines. And then the latest one I heard was um, in Austria, um, you could get 30 minutes with a sex worker if you had a vaccine. I mean, it's, it's just, you know, uh, it just doesn't feel real, actually. <laughs> um, and then people are being threatened, which is far, far more um, horrific. So people are losing their, people are literally losing their jobs and going on the breadline. Uh, they're losing their ability to travel, which may mean they can't, can't see family or friends. Um, and in Austria, the, they tried for a few days a lockdown of the unvaccinated. And I do not know how they decided that hadn't worked after two or three days. Um, but <laughs> I suspect it was more about um, creating social pressure and, um, 
yeah, and, and the sort of hatred of uh, division in society. Um, and now we have the spectacle of population mandates being threatened, and there are some countries already who are, um, uh, I think there's Indonesia is, has got a mandate on their whole population to have the, the vaccines, or it might be the Philippines, somewhere over in, the, in, in, in Asia somewhere. So I'm sure there's lots of people here because of the, um, you know, the way things have been who've actually had your vaccine already. And so I'd be really curious as to, as to whether you actually feel you got, uh, were able to give fully informed consent. And I think that every person who has been vaccinated should have been told and had discussed the following. So you should have been told that it was um, being used under temporary emergency youth authorization, that the trials were not complete yet and wouldn't be completed till at least 2023, so that they were experimental. Um, you should have been told that this was using a novel gene-based technology. Um, the mRNA and the DNA viral vector vaccines are both um, a, new, a new type of technology. That there was, because of the rush, uh, limited short-term safety data. The trials were based, the, the, the interim trial results that allowed the authorization were based on two months of safety data. Uh, there's no long-term safety data at all. There is not a single person on this planet who's had these vaccines inside them for more than, what, 18 months? Um, so we don't know if there's going to be any effect on things that might take a while to show, fertility, cancers, autoimmunity, other diseases. Um, we're already seeing some serious safety signals in the adverse event reporting data from VAERS, which is America, um, yellow card, the UK, you've got the UDRA vigilance in Europe, you've got the WHO VigiAccess. All of these databases, which are official databases and the only safety reporting databases that seem to exist, are showing levels thousands of times higher than we've ever seen for any other vaccine. So we've got more deaths reported in the States now from this one vaccine in nine months than they have done for all of the vaccines they've ever used for 35 years. Uh, so that, that is, is a safety signal, I would say. Um, you've got the known potential risks which are gradually being sort of added as we've found them in the population. So we had the clots, we had the, um, the, the people with these rare clotting and bleeding disorders, VITT, um, myocarditis, which is becoming more and more in the press, um, and that's been added as, as a concern. Guillain-Barre disease, that's a... Um, paralyzing disorder, uh, other neurological conditions, anaphylaxis, that was obvious in the first week or two when lots of people started co um, collapsing, uh, cardiac events and deaths. Then of course you've got the short-lived protection. It's now very clear that by six months the protection's gone. That, that should be a factor you should be told about in informed consent because if this was going to last a lifetime it may make you feel differently than if it's going to last four or five months. Uh, that will bring the possible need for repeated boosters, which no one was told about in, in, well, really until about July. So all the people who had it before then weren't told that that was, this might not be it. Because I think a lot of people thought, I'll just have these two and then I can just get back to normal. And I think that was um, a missell, really. Um, it doesn't prevent infection or transmission. So many people have had this to protect other people when they weren't scared of the virus, when they probably had it and they were young, but they thought they really should look after other people. 
they should have been told, no, it only protects you in the sense that it will reduce the amount of um, symptoms you get, hopefully, for a short time. Um, <laughs> your own individual risk of, of co from COVID-19 should have been discussed. You know, the, the risk-benefit analysis for a 25-year-old compared to an 85-year-old with two or three comorbidities is very different. And the decision may be different for those two different people. You know, you can't have a one-size-fits-all in medicine. People may have pre-existing medical conditions. Many of those won't have been trialled ever with the vaccine. You need to know that. You need to, because, you know, and again, some people say, that's fine, I'm, I'll go for that. But if you don't have that information, you're not giving informed consent. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I would say we are not anti-vax, you know, this lovely term that people like to call them, but we are pro cho the choice to decide on the evidence and on your own situation whether you want to take something or not. And it has to be honest and it has to be truthful. Um, people may have naturally acquired immunity. If you've had COVID, you have strong, robust, comprehensive and long-lasting immunity. You gain nothing from a vaccine. So you would have all risks and no benefits. That's, you know, now there's about, I don't know, I think the last count was about 80 studies which confirm this. You know, this is, this is very clear. Alternatives to vaccination. Um, these, these doctors on their platform were talking about COVID treatments they're not being allowed to give, but these are, there are very effective early treatments if you start early. Um, and also you should be told who's gonna pay out if something goes wrong. <coughs> The vaccine manufacturers are immune from liability. The, the government um, compensation scheme is very hard to get anything out of. It's very long-winded. Your maximum uh, compensation is 120,000, I think, at the moment. And that can take years and years and years to get hold of. You have to prove you are 60% disabled. So I think we... Taking a step backwards, where do we put our trust? Are we going to put our trust in the state or in ourselves, our family, our God-given immune systems? Um, and just, you know, I think Jonathan's covered some of this, but, you know, Big Pharma doesn't have legal liability for any harm or damage. Why? Um, now, they actually said, and I read this last June, so this is over, oh no, last August. Uh, so over a year ago, I was horrified to read that an AstraZeneca spokesman said, this is a unique situation where we as a company simply cannot take the risk if in four years the vaccine is showing side effects. <laughs> that was his explanation as to why they had to have immunity from liability. But why should we have to take the risk with our own health if in four or five years we find ourselves you know, damaged beyond repair? Um, there's been some coverage of uh, leaked secret contracts that, has, that Pfizer negotiated with all the governments, uh, which are concerning. You can look into that. Um, their safety data, this has recently been, uh, the FDA have applied to not have to release the safety data that they authorised the vaccine on um, in full until 2076. There's something, there's many, many, many thousands of pages and they're, they're going to put out 500 pages a month. Uh, which will take 54 years to be fully um, available. Um, as Jonathan said, um, you've really helped me in my talk. Um, Big Pharma has a long history of civil and criminal co uh, convictions uh, and the 2.3 billion Pfizer healthcare fraud case is the largest criminal and civil healthcare fraud case in history. 
Um, and I think when you put your whole trust in big pharma and state, you see the dehumanisation of medicine. So governments practising medicine is not safe. They are not doctors. There is n you cannot apply one size fits all. And you lose that sacred doctor-patient relationship, which is your advocate to look after your own needs. And that will lead to medical tyranny, which we are seeing, and a medical apartheid being created. Um, and, uh, you know, these sort of tyrannies don't end well. So uh, the way I've been seeing it is that over the, over the last 18, 20, 21 months now, there's been two different ideologies at play. Um, you've got your inalienable God, sorry, inalienable God-given rights, versus the greater good. Um, so your right to life and liberty in the US Bill of Rights, these are inviolable. You can't even violate them to benefit others. And this is, is underpinned by the Christian worldview that we are all uniquely made in the image of God. We are of infinite value to him and we must be treated with dignity. And it's the sanctity of life. Now this has come up very clearly to me against utilitarianism, the greater good, collectivism, whatever you want to call it. And in this ideology, you can allow instrumental harm to the individual because they can be sacrificed if it benefits wider society. And this is a very familiar um, ideology which has been um, used you know, repeatedly in history by totalitarian states, by communist regimes and the like. And it leads, we've seen in history, and it's, it's very obvious, to the dehumanisation of the individual. Um, and it's, as I say, it's at odds with Christian teaching and the, and the values that are underpinning our Western civilization. So I'm just going to spend a few minutes looking at um, a Christian perspective. Um, so this is a very beautiful scripture um, from Psalm 139. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderf wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. So, what is a Christian perspective on medical freedom? And this is so relevant, even if you're not a Christian, because our civilization was built on Christian, it, we were Christendom, so it has Christian values, it has Christian principles, and this is how we have lived over the last few centuries. And it has recognized that each person is a unique being, created by God to be treated with dignity. And it seems to me at this stage, we really need to employ our discernment and scripture to make sure that we are not deceived into false ideology or the worship of false idols. So in Matthew 7:15, and I think this is such an amazing bit of wisdom, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. They look um, plausible and harmless, but inwardly they are ravening, ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. We need to start looking at the fruits of these policies. 
And I put together a few pictures. Um, the reality of me medical mandates, what do they look like? These are the fruits. So I wonder what you see when you look at these pictures. So I see dehumanization, I see oppression, I see a fear, isolation, I see loneliness, loss of faith, despair, violation and cruelty. And we have to ask ourselves as Christians, is this from the world yes. under the evil one or is this from God? I feel so sad for those care workers and those hospital workers who have worked in the face of what especially initially was unknown and possibly extremely dangerous to their health with no protection. They've worked for like nearly two years now and now they're being told if they don't have a jab at this point, they're going to be sacked. Um, the children in schools who are sitting there for hours and hours a day, you know, when they're starting a new school and they can't even see the new people's, you know, the other people's faces, how do you even learn who each other are? Um, you know, it's causing, we, we know that the fruits of this, children are suffering an epidemic of suicide, anxiety, depression, massive catastrophic mental health problems. Uh, we see churches like, uh, the, the, I don't know if you can see that picture there, but people just sitting miles away from each other wearing masks. There is no place for a mask in a church. It is a symbol of uh, oppression. It, to me, it's wearing a lie on your face because I also know it doesn't work. We've looked at the evidence. Um, but <laughs> but also, there is no place for fear in a church, you know, we have to stand on what we believe. Um, and I have never worn a mask in church, and I have made sure I got in the music group and I sang throughout. Um, <laughs> but it, it has been, it, it brings the darkness in. Um, and you can feel, you know, a ye of little faith is, is all that was going through my head the other day. Um, and then this poor child at the bottom is having a swab stuck up its nose in the middle of the street by someone in a mask. I mean, what, what are we doing? And I think when our bodily autonomy, this really fundamental right, is threatened by these mandates, it, it, it invokes a massive backlash against human beings. This, isn't, this is not right. We know on some level this is not right. And we are seeing protests all around the world growing and growing. People are taking to the streets in their hundreds and hundreds of thousands. Again, you, you won't see this on the BBC, but it is there. A couple of weekends ago, it was, you know, there were millions on the streets in, you know, tens of countries around the world, all at the same time. Um, mainly peaceful but what's interesting is that they're coming up against a real violence from the authorities this is not a society we, is this is this an improvement to our health and social fabric so again that's that's kind of the fruits that we're looking at um, I am coming into land soon I'm sure I'm running over time um, so as Christians I think we need discernment to know what is from the world and what is from God and we are told so clearly throughout the Bible that we are in a spiritual battle between good and evil. And I think that is what we have failed to apply to this situation um, as a church. 
Um, so we're told the whole world is under the control of the evil one, um, that they're from the world and speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. So you're going to be popular if you speak with a world view. But we are told clearly, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Um, and we need to test and approve of what God's will is. Um, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. Um, and as you do not belong to the world, that is why the world hates you. Um, and then we're also told to expect hatred, persecution, lies and falsehoods. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, every one of those doctors on that platform who stood up in Rome has been completely, their reputations have been destroyed on social media, destroyed all over the internet. They have been fired from their jobs. They have been caught, you know, these are people who've had impeccable careers. And suddenly their whole Wikipedia page has been changed overnight when they speak out. They've been slandered. They have been harassed. They've had death threats. They, you know, I, I've been, um, you know, I'm just a small, a small cog in this, but, you know, I've faced persecution. I've had people say bad things about me. We all have. Everybody in this movement who is trying to speak the truth is being come up against this persecution and hatred. And I think that's a good sign. You know, if we are conforming to the world and if we're not experiencing persecution and hatred, we've probably got it wrong if we're Christians. That's kind of, that's how I've seen things. So, um, this people honours me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Now, there were these two images that just absolutely chilled my heart when I saw them, both in the newspaper. The first one is, was a big service um, uh, thanking the NHS. But the image was just really uncomfortable for me. Um, and then the other one was Christ the Redeemer in Brazil had this big vaccine saves put across, across it, but then with all these masked people. And it wasn't even vaccines save. It was vaccine saves. So vaccine has become the God. Um, and we're warned all the time, you know, do not follow false religions. And I think we do live in a post-faith world, largely, and, I, and this, it feels like we are creating or seeing the creation of a pseudo-religion ideology in front of our eyes. And then I know um, John talked about this earlier, so I won't talk about it much, but um, how did we get here? Where Durham Cathedral is demanding COVID passports for Christmas worship. Um, and I, I don't know, I, I'm not a... I'm not a pastor, but um, I thought this was quite a good scripture. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. We must not be naive. We need to take the step back. I think everyone's so caught up in, in you know, the news, what's going on, what's the latest, what's all the pronouncements. We have to stand back 
look at the big picture because then it is so clear um, and do our own research and you trust our own brains trust our own critical thinking don't be told what to think go and go and look it up yourself so I'd like to finish with um, an urgent call to the church and people of faith things are getting really serious and I think we're reaching a point of no return where um, I can only describe what's, what's being, what's being um, created is, is hell on earth, to be honest. The, you know, this loss uh, globally, there's nowhere to escape to. This is happening everywhere. The, the, the fact that you could, you know, I can now see a point where the police could come in and, and force vaccinate you. It, because the hate speech, the division that's being stirred up is, is getting really quite um, out of control. Um, the church has a role to speak an eternal perspective to the world. And I felt very, very um, let down actually and abandoned and disenfranchised throughout this uh, by the church. It, that's been actually the only thing that's made me frightened. Um, because we, we know we don't, God has not given us a spirit of fear. He's given us power, love and a sound mind. But conversely, when we are in fear, we are victims, we don't have power. We cannot love properly. We don't know how to love and we don't have a sound mind. We make really bad decisions. Um, and yes, the silence during the pandemic has been deafening uh, from the church. So I think there's an urgent need for spiritual discernment in the face um, and action in the face of immoral and unethical secular ideology. At this point, are we going to turn a blind eye to the lockdowns of the unvaccinated or compulsory medical procedures being inflicted onto vulnerable and you know, powerless people? Or are we going to stand up and say, no, we're drawing a line now. This does not continue, not in my name. We have to learn from history. This has happened before. You know, the two sort of institutions we trust the most, the medical profession, the church, were massively involved in Nazi Germany. We saw that in the Nuremberg trials, um, you know, the trials of the doctors, but also the vast majority of churches in Germany supported the Nazis. Um, there was only a small section of um, the, who actively opposed it, that was the confessing church, um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was executed for um, opposing the Nazi ideology. So I think we just have to, we, we can't be naive. We have to know that um, any good institution can be sort of deceived into the wrong path. And we just mustn't let that happen again. Because as Edmund Burke supposedly said, although some people said this wasn't his quote, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. And finally, back to my um, founding father. This was a doctor, Benjamin Rush. Um, he, these are quite prophetic, prophetic words, I think. Um, he said, unless we put medical freedom into the constitution, the time will come when medicine will organize into an undercover dictatorship to restrict the art of healing to one class of men and deny equal privileges to others. The Constitution of the Republic should make a special privilege for medical freedoms as well as religious freedoms. Thank you for listening.